Do you want to stay more focused on the right goals in your life or even just figure out what the right goals are for you? Do you want clarity? Do you want better work-life balance? Well, you're in the right place. Welcome to Success Through Failure. Welcome to the Success Through Failure podcast, the show that reveals failure as your path to success. You'll listen to intriguing interviews with some of the most successful people on the planet and learn how their failures became a launchpad for success and how yours can too. Here's your host, former Division I All-American wrestler, former Division I head coach, speaker, and personal coach, Jim Harshaw. Welcome to another episode of Success Through Failure. This is your host, Jim Harshaw, and today I bring you Dr. Patrick Cohn. For years, I struggled to find the clarity of purpose in my life and the single-minded focus that I had when I was an athlete. You know, it just felt like I was working hard but not really getting any closer to where I wanted to go. And to be honest, I really didn't even know or have a clear vision on where I wanted to go. Then I discovered a powerful four-step blueprint that I began to apply to my life, and it changed everything. Now, every morning, I'm excited to attack the day because I have a clarity of purpose, and I have confidence in my plan, and I have peace of mind in knowing that I'm back on that path to elite success. Anyone, and I mean anyone, can use this four-step process to recreate the key elements in the life of an elite performer so you can regain that clarity of purpose and that single-minded focus so that you can both achieve your goals and live a balanced life. I created a a free PDF for you outlining the four-step Reveal Your Path Blueprint for Success. Just go to jimharshawjr.com slash blueprint to get instant access to that free PDF. As the president and founder of Peak Performance Sports, Dr. Patrick Cohn teaches mental skills and mental toughness techniques to athletes, teams, and corporate professionals to help improve performance. As a mental toughness specialist, many recognized sports figures and teams have sought out Dr. Cohn's expertise, including the Miami Dolphins, NASCAR winners, NHL players, national motocross champions, PGA Tour professional golfers, and others. And he's also consulted with corporate clients such as IBM and USA Today. And for the listener, as always, if you don't have time to to write something down that you hear, or if you don't get a chance to listen to the whole episode, make sure you grab your free copy of the action plan. Just go to jimharshawjr.com slash action. Dr. Cohn, welcome to the show. Jim, nice to talk to you again. Likewise, nice to talk to you again. You and I have a common background at the University of Virginia. The individual who was, I guess, probably your mentor or your, you were the, his understudy was Dr. Bob Rotella, uh, and I'm good friends with uh, a couple of his other understudies as well. So we've got uh, we've got that mutual connection. But Man, I, I, this is uh, this is an interview I should have done a long time ago. I'm so excited to have you on. So why don't you just start with this? Can you just tell us a little bit about your background, maybe where you're from, where you grew up, and the 30,000-foot view of how you got from there to here? Yeah. So I grew up uh, outside of Buffalo, New York, in a small town called East Aurora, New York. And there I knew several golfers, high-level golfers, that uh, went on to play one was an NCAA champion. His name was E.J. Fister. And that's really how I got started uh, in this area is really working with golfers uh, early on. But um, I went to Cal State Fullerton, studied with a guy named Ken Revisa. And then Ken recommended I go and uh, study with Bob Rotel at the University of Virginia. And that's how I ended up at uh, UVA. 
Um, and then since then I've been, uh, I taught for a couple of years, uh, at the university level and then went out on my own, started peak performance sports many years ago. So how did you get into this? I mean, what, what drove you into this field and why stay in it? Well, I started in physical education. It was exercise science and physical therapy at the time. I got a dual degree, went back and got, spent an extra year and got a degree in psychology. So I was interested in merging the two at the time. This was in the mid-80s, early 80s, as a matter of fact. So I was interested in merging the two. And um, my advisor suggested that I go out and do my master's with Ken Revisa. But Ken's the one that really turned me on. <laughs> I got really excited about doing the sports psychology because I'd follow him around. He was doing a stress management class for, for all student athletes at the time. But I'd follow Ken around uh, when he'd be working with the baseball team or hockey team or softball. And, you know, and he turned me on to the coaches. And um, I did some work out there at Cal State Fullerton. So I, Ken Revisa was the one that really got me excited about working in this field. But it certainly was some of my education early on that really got me going in that path. And I know that you've studied a lot of champion athletes and their mindsets. And you said that the more you've studied them, the more you realize that winning attitudes are the key to performing well in competition. So, you know, you went through your, your training, your undergraduate, graduate training, you start getting out and, and doing your own thing and you start studying these mindsets and it's attitudes that you've discovered, right? Are, are this key to performing well? And, and that's, that's great. Now, so for the listener, they're probably thinking, okay, how do I actually do that? If you told me, you know, the more that you study championship athletes, the more you realize that they all do bench press, then we could do more bench press, right? Or they run more or they stretch 30 minutes a day. It's like, okay, I can do that. How do we have a winning attitude? Yeah. You know, once you get to the college level and beyond, Jim, as you know, it's a lot of it is a mental game. Like there, there's so many talented athletes out there that have mad physical skills and they do all the training today. It's, you know, the functional training, fitness training, nutritional training. They bring in experts. Uh, but then the one part of the game that kind of gets lost in the shuffle is the mental game and the mental approach because athletes spend 99% of their time working on the physical game. So really when I think of the mental game and I think of attitudes and mindset, it's something that I don't want to say that athletes you, you have or you don't. I think it's more about educating athletes about good thinking, good thoughts. Certainly in my work, Jim, I get a lot of athletes that will come to me because they're struggling, right? Something's not going well. They're in a slump. Uh, they're in a hitting slump or they're lost all their confidence or they struggle to take their practice game to competition. And so those are a lot of the athletes that I tend to work with is the ones that feel like they've exhausted everything else. They've done the fitness training, nutritional training, functional training. Yeah. They've changed coaches, right. changed mechanics, and then they finally realize, well, it must be mental. Right. And it's the last, the the last box to check for some reason is the bottom of the list. Right. Exactly. But – I want to say it's it's not just about for struggling athletes. It's more about educating athletes and improving consistency. 
from day to day or from competition to competition. Um, and it's not so much remedial or, or fixing stuff. You know, you know, we get calls from athletes and, and parents, well, we need a cure right away, right? <laughs> we need a cure. We need fix. But they don't understand really what is the mental coaching and the mental training because I see myself more as an educational person as a coach or an educator, not, not a therapist or a psychotherapist, which I'm not qualified to do. So how do you do it? I mean, you, so you educate them about, is it the, the words that they say, the self-talk that they practice? Is it about being mindful of, okay, I'm in a slump and, uh, you know, it's, you know, just knowing the fact that it's okay. Maybe it's not a physical thing. It's a mental thing or there are tactics that you help people apply. Because I'm curious Absolutely. about this, not only, you know, of course, for athletes, and there are a lot of athletes listening and coaches listening, but for, for everybody else, right, and, and myself included, you know, how do we leverage those tactics, not only for athletes, but also in the real world? Well, let's start with the big four. You know, I often talk with uh, my certification students about the big four that we teach. Number one is helping athletes manage expectations, where they have such high and strict expectations that it ends up sabotaging confidence and their composure. Number two is teaching athletes how to focus on the process, how to be more, as you say, present or more engaged in what they're doing and be able to deal better with distractions. That's number two of the big four. The third is having proactive confidence. Um, that means being able to take a healthy level of confidence with them into the game. And then number four is trust in their skills, being able to trust what they've been learning in practice and be able to take that out to competition where they're not performing tight, they're not performing scared, tentative, or fearful. So. I break it down, Jim, into kind of lessons, if you can think about it that way. And a lot of the lessons I teach are, you know, I would say 90% of our students are perfectionists. And as you know, with perfectionism, it has some real advantages, but it also has some real disadvantages. So the big four that I just mentioned are really, really important for that type of athlete, very motivated, committed but extremely high expectations can be self-critical and over-analytical. So part of it is understanding how is the athlete tripping themselves? How is the athlete getting in his or her way when they go from competition to practice? Being able to un unlock that or unblock that certainly is part of it by teaching specific lessons that, that are going to help them get over the hump. Hope I'm not being too broad for you. No, but we this can is great. dial it down if you'd like. Well, I'd love to dial into each one of these four. Again, thinking about the athletes and the coaches listening, and also those who are trying to, you know, launch a business, you know, make sales, you know, run a 5K or run a marathon, that sort of thing. So, manage expectations. Is that is that about? I, don't, I think the answer is going to be no. Uh, but I'm curious. Is it about thinking? Okay, well, listen, I, I'm trying to win the world championship here, but that may not happen, right? I, I know I interviewed a guy a while back who, uh, Jaden Cox, he is a world champion, come to, come to think of it. And he said for him, he started competing at his best when he realized that failure was an option. That failure was an option. So maybe that, fo maybe that falls under focus on the process. But tell me about more about managing expectations. 
It's super important. It's very critical, especially with perfectionists, Jim, because they have such high expectations. But let's differentiate, right, between confidence and expectation. So the formula is no expectations, high confidence, and then setting manageable objectives or manageable goals. That's the formula that I teach within that managing expectations lesson. Athletes with very high, very strict expectations, and I'll use an example. Like I said, I work with many perfectionists. They tend, golfers, for example, tend to judge every shot based upon the best shot they've ever hit. Ah, right? right. That's the epitome of the perfectionist. And then basically they're setting themselves up to fail or they're setting themselves up to feel like they're not performing their best. So they have such high expectations about their performance that they feel like they're failing, when in reality they might not be failing. So managing expectations is all about understanding what are those strict or high expectations that you put on yourself. I shouldn't have any penalty strokes. I should never take a double bogey. Right. Or I should always get up and down. I should never three putt. I should make all the short ones. Uh, um, right. And it goes on and on. And when, yeah. when they fail to do that, they both they'll lose confidence and they'll become upset that they're not performing to their standards. These how I define the expectations, Jim, are the unwritten standards or judgments that athletes have about the quality of their performance and outcomes and results as well. So expectations are much different than confidence. Confidence is simply athletes' belief in their skills, belief in their ability to execute uh, right. um, what they've learned. Yeah, Expectations are all about the judgment and the outcome and Big whether they're performing up to the, their capabilities. Yeah, huge difference there. Wow. Okay, that's good. So managing expectations, I got my head wrapped around that. Now, how about focusing on the process? Well, it sounds really basic, but um, most athletes um, don't have this one down, right? Focusing on the process means that you're focusing in the moment, you know, one shot at a time, one move at a time, one point at a time. And I break it down even further for them, Jim, about what is focusing on the process. If we talk about pitching, for example... In pitching, I work with pitchers on breaking down one pitch at a time, right? So I get even smaller with them. Yeah. Let's talk about between pitch. Where does your mind need to be between the pitch? Hmm. Let's talk about pre-pitch, what I call your planning and programming stage of the pitch. And then let's talk about the execution. So I, I actually break that down into three steps for them to get even more in the moment or get even more process-oriented. Yeah. Once you've done that, then the next step is to what are all the ways that you can get off task? Are you thinking too much about what's going on in the dugout? Are you thinking too much about coach pulling you? Or are you thinking about your stats for the game, for example? On and on. I mean, athletes have different distractions, different ways they get off task. So once you know the ways they get off task, now what we're really doing is we're separating the process from all the garbage, and there's a lot, right? There's yeah. a lot of external garbage and there's a lot of internal demons going on right. all at the same time for athletes. And so being able to separate that sounds really basic, but it's a huge 
uh, it's a huge lesson for athletes that they can really grasp onto and say, oh, I see. So if we talk about these are the five or six cues um, during your pre-pitch routine, let's stick to those. Anything else that comes into mind, then you're going to need to refocus. So the lesson is really eventually gets to this idea of refocusing when you get ahead of yourself, refocusing if you're thinking about the last walk you gave up and trying to get back into that present moment rather than letting it, as you know, if you're thinking about in wrestling, if you're thinking about, well, I just missed that shot, you know, and that was really awful. You know, you can't be into the moment on your next move, Right. right? That's when you're vulnerable, when you're dwelling on the mistake that you made. So it's the ability for athletes to recognize it, be aware of it and recognize it. Hey, I'm not where I need to be. Let's make an adjustment. A lot of what I teach, Jim, is about making adjustments. Um, It's not really about getting into the zone per se, because if you're locked in and you're, you're into the zone, you don't need to make adjustments, right? Right. It's really about making adjustments when you have your B game or when you have your C game. Or I want to digress a little bit because when I studied with Kent back in the mid eighties um, at Cal state Fullerton, it was all about peak performance and peak experience and getting into the zone, right? That's where it was all at in the mid eighties. But today, you know, and, and Ken later in his career, Ken passed away uh, last summer uh, suddenly. But later in his career, w- we both talked and realized that, you know what? It's not about trying to get in the zone every day and having that perfect performance. It's just knowing that, you know, you're going to make mistakes, you're going to fail at times, you're going to struggle at times, and being able to go out and get it done when you don't have your A game, when you have your B game, and be able to um, get through it without getting frustrated, upset, losing confidence, losing composure. So to translate that for the listener into anything else, right, even if, if you're if you're not competing right now, it's about focusing on the process. So, you know, what you're saying, Dr. Cohn, is that, you know, if I'm a pitcher and, you know, base is loaded, no outs, you know, what I need to focus is on, on is my pre-pitch routine and my mechanics, you know, being in the moment as opposed to going, oh, my goodness, how do I get three outs? How do I get out of this inning? Is coach going to pull me? It's not about thinking about that. You've got to let that go. And whatever that is in your life for the listener, whatever that process is, you're trying to lose 30 pounds or you're trying to get that promotion or you're trying to make that sale or start that business or fix your relationship. Yeah, there's going to be struggles and failures and setbacks and obstacles and adversity along the way and mistakes and missteps. That's part of the process. That's that's normal. And that goes back to even managing expectations, like managing like the fact that, you know, knowing that those those things are, are normal and those things can happen. And when they do, you have to be okay with it. You have to kind of let those go and go, okay, let me get back to the process because when I focus on that process, I can most influence the outcome by, by, the, by focusing on the process. Am I right? Absolutely. Yeah, that was a good summation. If, if you're, you're dwelling on giving up a walk, you're dwelling on a mistake that you made in, in an interview, you're dwelling on any mistake that you made, you have what's called the split focus right? That split focus doesn't allow you to be fully present um, and in the moment and and then thus perform your best in that moment. Yeah, that's great. And that is so important. Again, this is why I wanted to have Dr. Cohen on because this stuff is studied so well 
for athletes and we understand it. We can see through the eyes of an athlete and understand these lessons. And then you've got to take them and go, okay, how do they apply to me? Whether I'm an athlete or I'm a coach or otherwise, how do those apply? Because this is about performance, period, right? Whether whether you're trying to perform in sports or anything else. So, all right. So the third one is proactive confidence, the third of your big four. Tell us about that. Um, once again, extremely important for athletes. The opposite of proactive confidence is what I call reactive confidence. Um, reactive confidence is you're reacting to how you feel that day when you get up. You're reacting to how you feel before the competition. Um, you're reacting to what happened in the opening minutes of the competition. In other words, you're allowing your confidence to be swayed around rather than taking control of your confidence. Like, if you didn't have a good warm-up on, on the warm-up mat, Jim, before you went out there for your first match, does that create doubt? Does that create some indecision if you didn't feel 100% in your warm-up? Right. So proactive confidence is about fueling up your confidence before the start of that competition, mm. which means, hey, what are you good at? What have you done? What's your success? What are your strengths? What are your talents? It's really about focusing on what you have rather than what you don't have. Focusing on what you have versus what your opponent might have, your opponent's record, you know, that all that stuff that can get into your head. What's my opponent's ranking? Sure. What's his record? Did I win? <laughs> you know, the last time I competed against this guy, did I win? Right. All that stuff can start to, you know, get in your head when you start focusing too much on what the opponent has. So it's a self-focus, emphasizing the self and self-confidence and doing everything you can to fuel up your confidence and get into a confident state of mind prior to that competition or whatever it is that you're going to do is you have to go in with, I guess, focusing on your strengths and your talents and what you have. Yeah. And I'm going to share a, an example of something that I do. And I really, really would have benefited from this significantly when I was competing, but I've done this in the real world is n not even having a term for it and understanding really behind it, but this proactive confidence in, in terms of cultivating it and creating it is, is I've taken just a lot of positives, all the reasons why I believe I can succeed, um, whether it's, you know, degrees that I have or accomplishments that I've done or compliments that I've received and listed them out. And I've actually, I've got them listed on a, on a Google document and I've actually recorded them into just a voice memo on my phone, and I listen to them sometimes. Right? If I'm feeling down, if I'm feeling like I'm losing my confidence a little bit, I would just, I'll, I'll play that. And it's a reminder of like, oh yeah, oh yeah, I've did that, I've done that, I've done that. People said that about me, and I've accomplished this thing, and, and I know I'm this, is, this is possible because you know, I've done these things before. So it's this, this reciting uh, all the reasons that I have to be confident, and it's kind of building that, you know, pro proactively building that confidence. So is that is that a little bit along the lines of what you're talking about? Absolutely, yeah. Um, it, it is a little page out of Rotella's playbook, right? And um, I've been is that right? Is that, is that something into, he teaches, or something you? Yes, yeah, absolutely. And I've turned it into the confidence resume. Is what I talk about is helping uh, athletes develop a confidence resume. Yeah. 
with a series of questions that I'll ask them uh, about their practice, their work ethic, their talents, you know, that. what others say that they're good at, et cetera. And, and you're absolutely right. Sometimes you need to remind yourself of why you're good or what talents that you have rather than I kind of call it unsupervised thinking, Jim, this unsupervised thinking means your mind is open and receptive to doubts and indecision and hesitation. But if you, if you approach it proactively, as you said, with a, with a routine, with a preparatory routine, then there's a uh, uh, there's more structure to that that process and and what you're thinking and, and feeling. So is this part of the pre-performance routine? I know you're considered a, a leading authority on pre-performance routines and mental skills for getting into that zone or you know you know preparing yourself for competition. Is this part of it? Uh, yeah, all of this feeds into the pre-game warm-up routine. All of the skills that we talk about in the big four and beyond uh, feeds into here's your mini mental prep that you're going to get ready uh, for the competition. And it doesn't have to be just a competition as, as you've talked about, Jim, it could be anything getting, getting ready for an interview. I've, I've worked with traders, for example, on what's your preparatory routine to get ready to sit down um, at your trading desk. Yeah. Makes total sense. So we've covered three of the big four so far. Man, number one, managing expectations. Number two, focus on the process. Number three, proactive confidence. And number four is what you said is trust in your skills. Can you talk about that? Yes. And the prior three feed into the fourth one. If you're doing good with managing expectations, focusing on the process and having a high level of confidence at the start of the competition, then it's easier to trust in your skills. So trusting your skills is particularly interesting for overthinkers, overanalyzers, you know, perfectionist people out there that tend to overthink and not trust what they've learned. So it's the main reason that, you know, you see athletes talk about choking or you see athletes choking is because they don't have trust in their skills. And there's many things that block trust in their skills, fear of failure being a, uh, a big one or just wanting to be perfect and wanting to be perceived as um, a great performer. Those things can get in the way of athletes trusting them. So how can I describe trust? So Jim, if you're, let's just say you learn, you know, a new move in practice, right? And you're going to take it out. You've got a match that you're going to take it out to. Trusting your skills basically is just seeing that move in your mind and letting it happen. So trust is really letting go of the overthinking, the conscious control, the self-coaching that Galloway talks about, right? Where you're you're self-coaching, you're just in your own head and you're overthinking and self-coaching yourself. Instead of that, it's just relying on motor memory. It's relying on muscle memory and letting it happen instead of trying to force it to happen. That was such a big turning point for me in my wrestling career whenever I I let go. I mean, it's, it, I incorporated so many of these things, maybe because Dr. Tom Perrin is a mm-hmm. disciple of uh, Dr. Bob Rotella, just like yourself, and, and he was a critical person in terms of me when I was competing, in terms of me getting over the hump mentally. 
But I remembered when I stopped, you know, really overthinking things and I just trusted in my skills and I, I let go. I let go and I said, listen, I'm just going to trust in my skills and whatever happens, happens. Whenever I finally got to that point, it became fun again, first of all. And second of all, I, I competed it. I, I was, I allowed myself, I let myself compete at my highest level. And it's the same even now in my life when I'm speaking in front of a group or running a workshop. I just ran a workshop a few days ago for, for an insurance group at their annual retreat. And it was amazing whenever I get to that point where I just, I'm just in the zone, you know, using, using that term, but I, and I let go and I trust in my skills instead of thinking like, okay, what do I need to say next robotically? But I let go and trust in my skills. And that's when the best version of me comes out. Whether you're in a field of competition or, or performing in any other way, in an interview, in a you know, speaking opportunity like I was doing, it's about trusting in your skills. That's such an important point that I think a lot of people struggle with. Yeah, it's huge. A- anybody that's you know, an overthinker, overanalyzer, likes to analyze you know, what they're doing or what they're even thinking or saying... Um, if you go and you give that talk and you're analyzing what you're saying, man, you're not in the moment, right? right. right? right. You're, you're judging. That's right. Judging, questioning, thinking. That's not a peak performance state. Dr. Cohn, I want to switch gears a little bit. I want to shift the conversation a little bit more to you. Um, you are a world-class performer yourself, world-renowned peak performance sports psychologist, and I want to I want to learn a little bit about you, uh, and I want I know the listener does too. And so, can you tell us about yourself in terms of like what habits do you have that you feel have set you apart over the years? What has helped you achieve success? Any particular things that you do on a regular basis that that you feel have have been integral in your success? Well, Jim, as you know, I teach a certification program. It's called the MGCP certification program. And one of the things that I teach about, you know, development and personal development in an area I know that you're closely akin to is continuing to strive to better yourself or better the knowledge that you have. Like, when people come in the course, I say, okay, you've got all the information, uh, but now here's how you sharpen your skills. So, and I've always done that throughout my life is, you know, when I was at Virginia, I read every single journal, every single mental training book that was out there at the time. Right. And, um, I was just a consumer. I wanted to consume different viewpoints and, I still do that today. I still am looking for that edge to help, you know, the participants in my program to be the best that they can be as a mental coach. I revise the program pretty much every year. I try to make it more streamlined, more understandable for them, more applicable for them. So I think it's, it's the idea is being a lifelong learner of your trade and never feeling like, Oh, I got it all. I know it all. Yeah. That's a great point. We can get so sucked into just doing, 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 and then we never hit the pause button to actually learn, you know, continue to develop our skills and hone our skills. And that really goes back to, gosh, looking back at the, the big four, you know, number two is focus on the process. That is part of the process, right? Is, you know, continual improvement. And, 
Number four is trust in your skills, you know, and you'll have more trust in your skills if you are continually learning. So those are, those are, those are great points or that is a great point about uh, continual learning. And Dr. Cohn, can you tell us about a time where you failed, a time where you failed and maybe as a result, you had that hopelessness, that overwhelming self-doubt that comes with failure and how you were able to get through that and achieve either despite it or even because of it. Well, geez, that's such a tough, tough question, Jim. And I, I didn't really think about it before the interview. I, I could approach it in a couple different ways. But from uh, my perspective is, you know, when you're sometimes when your health is at risk, you know, when I was at Virginia, my kidneys were failing. I don't know why, um, why they were failing. I mean, I wasn't a heavy drinker or anything like that, but it might've been an infection, but my kidneys failed when I was going through my PhD at the university of Virginia. And so your whole world kind of tends to get rocked when, you know, you're 21, you're diagnosed with kidney failure and you're, you're trying to strive for your goals and you're trying to get somewhere. Right. And so that was really, really tough. I went through all the testing and I got on the list, um, what's called the transplant list. And all my uh, uh, brothers and sisters also went through and did the testing and see, see the compatibility that from antigen, it's called the antigen match and how closely you match genetically. But that changed my whole life, that whole process that I went through from the moment I was diagnosed, 21, all the way to, you know, 30 when I finished my education at the University of Virginia. Once I graduated from the University of Virginia, my sister gave me one of her kidneys. And wow. so I've been going strong for about 30 years now. Um, without a problem, a knock on wood, right? So, but at that moment that you realize that, oh my God, uh, what's going to happen, right? When you're diagnosed with this, this disease that can kill you, right? That's really tough. Sure. And it changed my whole life. I mean, from no more drinking, you know, to fitness, diet, um, getting on, on healthy diets, you know, being able to manage the medication. Yeah. So yeah, I don't know and, if I want to say that's a fail, but no, but it's, 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 it's adversity. Really a success story. Yeah, it is a success story. It's a big fail, but it's an obviously. adversity, you know, and, and I think a lot of folks out there think, you know, their situation's unique and, and it is right. Everybody's situation is unique, but, but there's adversity that we, that we all face. And from the outside looking in, you know, not too many people probably know that story about you, Dr. Cohen. I appreciate you sharing that. And, and that's an adversity that you had to get through to, to, to launch your career. So um, that's, uh, you know, we all have our own, right? We all have our own struggles, setbacks, adversities, and obstacles. So I appreciate you sharing that one. And Dr. Cohen, for the listener who, who is ready to take action on what we talked about here today, they, they, they heard us talk about the big four. And by the way, for listener, you can you can just get access to all these. I'll have the action plan for this. Just go to jimharshajr.com slash action, and you can get your copy of the action plan from this episode as a PDF. But they bought into the big four. Manage expectations. Focus on the process. Proactive confidence. And trusting your skills. What's an action item? What is something they can do, let's say, in the next 24 to 48 hours to start implementing this stuff and start moving towards their goals using your philosophies? 
set up a small routine for whatever task that you do, you know, whether you're an athlete or a weekend golfer, whether you're a trader or whether you like to, you know, play card games, set up a small routine that helps you get into the right mindset where you're letting go of any preconceived expectations. You're checking in with yourself about being present, focusing on the process and having fun, where you're trusting in your skills and believing in your talent. So those big four fit nicely into that preparatory routine. There's certainly a couple others that we talk about, like pregame jitters, pre-meeting jitters, pre-competition jitters, and being able to manage those as well. So set up a small routine for yourself to get yourself into the right mindset. Mindset just doesn't happen all by itself and say, I'm going to be in a good mindset today. That sounds more like mood to me. Mindset is about setting up the conditions that are going to allow you to be present, focused, confident, and trust in your skills. Yeah. And I appreciate you bringing that. That's such a a good point. It's a powerful action item that will once you do this, this is for the listener, once you set up this routine, it's going to pay dividends every time you use it. Like I have a pre-performance routine for when I'm doing a workshop or a talk, I have this routine and and it puts me into this great state and it's such such an important thing for me. I can't just, you know, I, I could, I probably, you know, I could probably just go and, and flip it on and, and maybe be 80 or 90% as good as I would be. But if I, if I do this people, this routine, it gives me the best chance at being my best self. So I think that's such a great, great piece of advice. So thank you for that. Dr. Cohn, where can a listener go to find you, follow you, uh, learn more about what you do? Well, jump over to peaksports.com um, and um, check out some of the free reports uh, I have there and the articles. You can jump over to the blog from there. we got many articles, videos, podcasts that people can learn more about mental training. Peaksports.com. And for listener, again, I'll have all this in the action plan, jimharshajr.com slash action. Dr. Cohn, thank you so much for making time to come on the show. Jim, thanks. It's been a pleasure. Likewise. And for the listener, until next time, take the time to get clear on your goals and embrace failure as a stepping stone on your path to success. 